God, we come to you in prayer in the name of Jesus, thanking you, Lord, this morning for this uh, wonderful time of worship. Thank you, Lord, that you just give us the privilege to come and to say your name and to sing your name and uh, give you all the praise and glory for what is going on um, in our lives. God, I pray uh, today that as we open up God's Word, I feel like I have a, a message from the Word and from my heart, and I pray, God, that we would just receive it today that the Spirit of God would move on us in a very special way today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, as we gather together around God's Word, let me encourage you right now to take your Bibles or your iPad, iPhone, whatever you have, and take it and turn to Matthew chapter 11. We're in a series of messages on the Gospel of Matthew. Actions speak louder than words. Now, I, I doubt very seriously if there's anyone here this morning that is not struggling with some kind of burden in your life. I doubt very seriously if there's anyone coming in here today that couldn't name something that you're struggling with, something that's heavy on you. And over and over and over again, we say, well, I brought it to the altar in my mind or a physical altar like this, and I gave my burden to the Lord, but it didn't do any good. I mean, it just wasn't there. Now, listen to this passage of a promise from God. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where we're really going to be centering the message on this morning, even though we're going to be looking at all, most of the verses, it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For Jesus said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, many people who know the Bible know that this passage is in there. And they, they've read it many, maybe many times. They can't really maybe say where it is, but they know it's there somewhere, you know. And I had a friend of mine back in college that um, was uh, good enough, really as a songwriter, singer-songwriter, that he actually went to Nashville and tried to make it there. But his name was Tony. And he had just broken up with his girlfriend. His fiance actually had broken up with him. And he was kind of bitter toward God. And he wrote a song called if Jesus were a friend. And I never will forget some of the lyrics there in the chorus where it says, if Jesus were my friend, he'd be carrying my load tonight. But if all I got is a half a load, then his half must be light. Now, it was really a derogatory statement against God, as you can see. But as he was expressing his bitterness, many of us Maybe not bitterness, but certainly doubt and wondering, God, why don't you ever take this burden from me? Why don't you fix things? Why don't you help me? I lay it on the altar to you, and it just keeps happening. It may be a child that you're praying for, a, a parent that you're praying for. Maybe it's somebody here that wants to get into a certain college. And you say, you know, I'm just worried about it. I'm stressed about it. I'm anxious about it. You know, when is this answer going to come? And what if the answer is not what I want? And, and then others, you know, they prayed about a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you know, and somebody you figure, well, maybe they're even out of my league or whatever, but God, somehow, some way, I pray they'll fall in love with me. Well, you just keep laying that burden down and keep picking it back up, and you just, you can never really release it. How do you really release a burden? Because I've gone through this myself. I've questioned this many times in my life. Just simply say, God, how do I do that? When I keep worrying about it, keep get being stressed about it, keep being anxious about it. Well, this passage gives us the answer to that. Now, before we get into it, understand that a yoke is a harness. I can tell we got a bunch of farmers here. You know, I can just tell. You know, how many of you are raised on a farm? Anybody here? 
All right? It's 100% looks like nobody. <clears throat> That's a positive way of looking at things, 100%. All right. Well, a harness would go around an ox or a yoke, and there'd be a, a very heavy bar across uh, the shoulders of the oxen. It doesn't have to be an ox. It could have been a, a donkey, a horse. It could even be human beings. Some people could not really afford an animal, so they'd pull the plow themselves. But on this, they'd be strapped, and the plow would be back here, and you would be pulling that plow through that soil, that rocky soil. And it says, look, this is your yoke. And this is your, you say, your burden. No, you're harnessed to a burden. The burden's behind you. What you're pulling is behind you. What, what's on you is heavy, but really the burden is behind you. And so how do we do that in light of this passage? Well, I want us to look at a couple of things this morning. First of all, I want us to look at something very important. That is who is given the invitation. Because not everybody can rescue us from our burden. And then I want us to see how we could reject, why anyone would reject the invitation. Uh, keeping in mind that this is a salvation passage. I'm not going to preach it necessarily that way because what applies to us in salvation also applies to us in the Christian life. I'm amazed. I'm amazed when I read the Bible over and over and over again. Whatever applies to us with the grace of salvation and what brought us to Christ also teaches us how to grow in Christ and release, in this case, our burdens before the Lord. But this is a group of, of Jewish people who were carrying around their burden, and their burden was work salvation. They had to follow the Pharisees. They had to follow this set of rules, do's and don'ts, even more so than even the Old Testament laws would even say. But the law, the Bible says, will not save you. It has to be by the grace of God as Jesus Christ died on the cross. And the whole passage is about, look, here's the invitation. You don't have to have the burden of working your way to salvation. I have provided the way if you will grasp it, if you will get it. But this also applies, and we're going to find out, to our Christian walk as well. And so, secondly, would be the rejection. Why would you ever reject Jesus Christ? And thirdly, what is the invitation? As we weave that throughout the entire message, but get specific uh, about it at the very end. So let's look, first of all, who offers the invitation? Look with me in verse uh, 16, or, or verse, verse uh, 1 of chapter 11, excuse me. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, notice I said last week, he's getting more and more away from the multitudes and the crowds and more teaching his disciples, but he never left the crowds. He kept going back and teaching them. Now, when Jesus, or when John, rather, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the, of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples, and he said to him, are you, the one, <clears throat> are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Wow, now here was John the Baptist. In verse 10, we're going to find out he's the forerunner of Christ. He prepared the way of the Lord, and he baptized Jesus, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now he's in prison for preaching the gospel and preaching the gospel of repentance. And he's there in prison, about to be beheaded, and he's wondering, is Jesus really the one? Now, this is this doubt. Yes, it is. Doubt is really a part of faith. In fact, anywhere we find in the Bible where someone is doubting, we will also find belief. It's usually the follower of Christ that begins to question, begins to doubt. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is unbelief. 
And that is not believing in Christ at all, not trusting in Christ as your Savior and Lord. And so doubt, you and I have doubts all the time. We question things all the time, and that is the natural journey of faith in our life. Now, I don't know why John was doubting. Maybe he was expecting Jesus to rescue him from prison. Or maybe it was he was thinking about the tradition. Now, the Bible says there's going to be a forerunner, and it's going to be like the spirit of Elijah. And the Bible says the spirit of Elijah was really John the Baptist. But tradition had it that there'd also be Jeremiah coming along. That's not in the Bible, but just the Jewish tradition. And so he's wondering, is that Jewish tradition right? Is he, I, I'm, I'm Elijah, I understand that, but what if Jesus is really in the spirit of Jeremiah? He's not sure. And so he begins to doubt. Now, what evidence does Jesus give to him? He says, because I said so. No, he says this. Jesus answered, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and a blessed is the one who said is not offended by me. He says, look at the evidence. Now, we've talked about that in the, in the weeks uh, past. He says, look, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jewish people, you need a Savior. You're not where you need to be. You need help as well. No matter how much burden you carry about good works, it's never going to be good enough. You've got to go through a Savior. And he says, I am the Savior, let me prove it to you, by the miracles that I perform. Now, in the Old Testament, you'll find several passages about this and about the predictions of Jesus Christ. But listen to Isaiah 35, verses 3 and 4. Strengthen the weak hands, and make firm the feeble needs. Say to those who have an anxious heart. Do you have an anxious heart today? Anxious, stressful? Be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Jesus was giving the evidence of being the Messiah from an Old Testament perspective to a Jewish nation. And that is he was going to perform many, many miracles. And he goes from town to town performing these miracles, calling people to a great invitation that he is going to invite us to here in just a few minutes in verses 28 through 30. We look at this and we also find out, my goodness, he's got the power to forgive sins. Remember the paralytic being healed. He says, behold, your sins are forgiven in chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. He says, go and tell John the Baptist what you've seen and what you've heard. Jesus, this is not a passage about just John the Baptist. This is a passage placed here, I believe, specifically by the Holy Spirit to tell us once again who Jesus Christ really is. You know, you can rest. He calls you in verses uh, 28 and, and following, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. He says, I'm going to give you rest. You can rest upon a lot of things and not be restful. I mean, there's a difference between going to sleep, we'll say, in a lazy boy and on a hard bench, right? You understand what I'm saying? Some of you have been on an airplane, and I'm not talking about you uh, people that can fly first class, all those points you have. And by the way, when you get on a plane and go to first class, everybody in coach hates you, you know? <laughs> and I say that in, 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 you know, in the most spiritual way. But um, you go to first class, and the rest of us back in coach, where maybe if uh, you're in one of those overseas flights, and you have to go to sleep. I mean, you know, they take off at 10 o'clock at night. And so you're having to go to sleep and your head's bobbing. You know, every time I get off a plane, my neck is killing me from trying to go to sleep. And I want to invent one of those. In fact, I'm, a, I'm just going to challenge you. Can I challenge you just a minute? 
Go out and vent. Maybe you can get on Shark Tank or something. Go out and vent one of those things, something that you can put around your forehead and strap to the back of your seat so you're, you're... your neck would stay straight up the whole time when you're trying to sleep. It's terrible. But hey, I can go to sleep in a car. Man, you just kind of get that, that seat reclined back and uh, put my sunglasses on. I can sleep all day. And in fact, when I'm not driving, it's even better. And so <laughs> there's a difference between going home and sleeping in that recliner and trying to sleep on the floor. You can rest upon something and simply not be resting. You have to trust in it. If you're going to give something over, your burden to something, you're going to have to trust that something or someone that you're giving it to. Jesus said, look, you can trust me. Look who I am. I'm, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. Now, why wouldn't someone really trust that? Well, let's look at the next uh, passage and look at, at why we reject the invitation, beginning in verse 20. I want to come back to some of these verses, but let's look to verse 20 and understand that that some people weren't buying into Jesus at all. Then it became to denounce the cities where most of the mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will be an exalt, exalted to heaven. You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, remember Sodom in the Old Testament, fire and brimstone rained down from heaven and destroyed the city. He said it would have been remained until this day. But I tell you that if it would be more tolerable for the day of judgment in the land of Sodom than for you. Why? Well, because Sodom had no Bible. Sodom didn't have a New Testament. Sodom didn't have a gospel. You see, the more you and I hear, the more we're responsible for. But why would these people reject? They were seeing the miracles. They were, they were hearing the gospel. They were understanding that Jesus Christ was claiming to be God in the flesh, coming to save them, and they rejected. And we ask ourselves, why would anybody do that? Now, I I'm going to just be honest with you. It's difficult for me, just a confession, to preach the gospel to, say, a group like this and think about anyone leaving here not making a decision for Christ. And I lament that many times on Sunday afternoons. How could that happen? And it's not about me. It's about the gospel. But I'm just confessing here. But, you know... As I read this passage, I understand that people were actually rejecting Jesus Christ and the gospel from his very lips. They were rejecting as they saw the miracles. Now, the Bible tells us there's a reason for it. It's about the heart. And and after Easter, we're going to be starting a series of messages on unsolved mysteries. And beginning in Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to find out about why Jesus even taught in parables and what this means about the heart. But in verse 16, if I can trace back there just a few minutes, in verse 16, we find out something uh, that's really precious here about the gospel. I mean, this is a, this is a great insight to the gospel that uh, other commentators has give, have given me, including uh, a pastor by the name of Tim Keller and others. It, look at this. He says, but to you, but to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children, 
sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither to eating. Now I've got to, I've got to go over these verses because somebody's going to say, well, you just skip the hard part. But so this has really nothing to do with what I'm trying to get to this morning, but I'm going to read them anyway. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Obviously, these people were just throwing everything up against the wall, accusing Jesus of everything. Uh, certainly, he was not a glutton. Certainly, he was not a drunkard. And I know that we argue about the, you know, the wine, whether you've heard that it's watered down with water and it's... Uh, uses chlorine and things like that. Well, I've been to the Holy Land on three separate occasions, and I've, I've seen what they do there, and that's exactly what happened. In fact, the same wine that Jesus drank at 33, he drank at three, just to set the record straight there. But that has really not what I want to talk about here this morning, because in verse 16, it compares us to children and something that children did. And what they did was copy adults in their games. That's what it's talking about here. When it's talking about a flute and a dirge, it's talking about games they played. Now, if you are a parent, grandparent, you understand that a lot of children's games are copying. I remember when um, my kids were growing up, they would practice playing church, and one would kind of lead the music, act like he was leading the music, and they'd just be by themselves in a room. Another one would preach, things like that. They copy the games of adults. The two games are copying here that uh, were things about adults were weddings and funerals. Because that's the time everybody came together. They came together for a funeral. That's the dirge. They came together for the celebration. That's the flute. And they said, look, you came together and they did not mourn. They, they did not sing during the flute. Now, what this is bringing out is simply this. The gospel is both very, very positive and very, very pessimistic. And it's the pessimistic part that really bugs us. It says it's like a dirge. It's like a funeral. What's the pessimism? Well, how about this one? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For a pastor these days to stand up and say everybody has sinned, everybody's a sinner, is not really popular to do at all. It's a negative thing. It's, it's a pessimistic thing. Um, I, I was reading an article this past week about, wow, does it do any good to tell everybody in the church they're, they're sinners? Well, I want to know the truth, honestly. I don't know about you, but I want to know the truth. It's a negative thing. Not only is it a pessimistic thing, but it's, a, it's negative to the human mind because what we have to do is get forgiveness of that, so we have to admit it. And then, on the other hand, we take our hands off our own life and we put Jesus on the throne of our life instead of what is on there now. Something's on there. Something's on the throne but so we do that. We put whatever is on the throne off the throne and put Jesus on the throne. Now, the positive to it is that it's all by the grace of God. We don't have to earn a thing. But that one thing, why is it that somebody would reject Jesus? I, here's someone, here's a group of people, three cities, that saw the miracles of Jesus. They, they were listening to the very words of Jesus, and they said, no, in fact, get out of our city. Why would anybody do that? Because it's really, you say, well, because, uh, you know, they were called sinners. Nah, I really don't, I don't buy into that much. The reason why people reject Jesus, same reason I rejected him for four years of my life before I received Christ. The one sin in my heart 
the one thing that I would not give up is the right to run my own life. That was it. Now, this happens, by the way, even in the ministry. People say, well, I'll do this for you, God, and, and maybe pastors, but also ministry of lay people as well. I'll do this, and I'll serve here, and I'll give this, but God, I'm going to do this in my life. I just don't want to let go of my life. Somebody says, well, man, I, I, I belong to Jesus. Well, would you move on the mission field? Oh, boy, that's pretty tough. Would you move to another part of the United States that maybe you don't really want to live? Maybe on the West Coast because all your family's on the East Coast. Maybe in Texas, maybe in Oklahoma and Arkansas, somewhere in the middle of the country. You're going to move somewhere else. You're going to take a job maybe that you don't maybe prefer. You're, you're going to leave home. Would you do those kind of, of things? Well, I just want to write, you know, I, I want to do what's right with God. And I want to have this ritual. And, and matter, matter of fact, I know that, that I'm okay because I've been baptized. See, I, I get baptized in water. I go, and, and maybe this morning you think to yourself, well, being up here in the baptistry, man, that would be so embarrassing. Matter of fact, it's not. You feel like you're in a different room altogether, and people are looking at you almost like because of that square, almost like on television or something. But I, I'm willing to embarrass myself, get my hair wet, as somebody said, but then I'm going to go out and live my own life. It's not necessarily a, a bad life. It's just I'm going to call the shots of my own life. Or they join a religion where there's all kinds of rituals going on. I'm doing all these rituals, but I'm going to party a lot on Friday night. And, and then I'm going to do all these kind of things. Or I'm going to come to this church, and I'm not only going to get baptized, but I'm going to serve as well. I'm going to serve, and I'm going to give. I'm going to give something. And then I'm going to go out and, and do what I want to do on, in my business life Monday through, Monday through Friday. You see, it's just that letting go. It's that letting go. The people at Corison, Bethsaida, they didn't want to let go. They didn't want to take their hands off their own life. And dear friend, that has everything to do with letting go of a burden. We look at this passage, and we understand there's a, there's a restlessness there, the restlessness of a heart. And so as we look at this and put all this together, we ask ourselves the question then, what is the invitation? Now, we know who's giving it, the very Son of God himself, and we know why we would reject it. We would reject it because we would have to give up being Lord of our own life. There's many Christians here <clears throat> that struggle with this every day. You, you essentially, at the, at the very beginning, your life was changed because you gave your heart over to Jesus Christ. But the trouble is you keep taking it back, just like me. I just, you struggle with it. You keep taking it back. You make your own decision. Oh, I, you know, I shouldn't have done that. Man, I got into trouble there. I got to go back and, and re-up here with, with God, with the lordship of my life and all that. And we struggle with that. And because of that, we struggle with burdens, with problems. You see, we're yoked up to something. You're, we're yoked up. Now, the people of the Old Testament times were, in New Testament times, really looking to the Old Testament, they were yoked up to an old way of pleasing God. Works, 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 and more works. One of the things, it's amazing, one of the things Jesus said in the Bible that puzzles a lot of people, he said, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get to heaven. Well, we can apply that in a lot of ways, rich man, uh, uh, um, an educated man, why? 
Well, the poor, and sometimes the uneducated, realize they have no control over their own life. They, they know that. They're, they're looking for work. They're looking for a job. They're, they know that it may be out there. They're, they're paycheck to paycheck. They're day to day in their food, probably. They have no control. The rich person or the educated person thinks, look, all I need is a self-help book. I can do this. I, I, can, I can achieve something in my life, and I do need God's help. I'm a believer. I need God's help. God, now, would you help me do this? That's all I need, just a little help. I'm, push, I'm pulling the plow, and I'm doing a good job here, God. I'm doing it myself, but you know it's kind of tough. Would you just kind of help me along just a little bit to pull it? Instead of saying, God, here's my life. I'm taking my hands off my life, and here it is. Difficult to do. It's a challenge to do. It's an everyday thing, but it's also a once-for-all type of decision that you have to make in your life. So how does this apply? Look in verse 28. First of all, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise, talking about these three cities, from the wise and understanding, and reveal them to little children. You, re you reveal them to people who would depend on me, who have a dependence upon someone else. Like we're like children. But you've hidden things to those who are wise in their own eyes. And again, when we come to the parable of soils, we'll look at that further here in a couple of weeks. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom and the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. Notice three words here. Here's the invitation, three words. Come, first of all, he says, then take, in verse 29, and then also in verse 29, learn. Three things. To release your burden before the Lord. Come to me. Notice it says come to a person and not to a set of rules. But he says come to me all who labor. This is the idea of worry, of weariness rather. Laboring to a point of exhaustion. The, the Jews had this yoke of the law. And every time they turned around the Pharisees were adding a new rule. And they were just carrying their burden and their toil. I've got to please God somehow. This heavy burden, he says, and heavy laden. This has the idea at some point in time, something or someone has dumped a load on you, and it's hard to carry. If I could just move from the harness to a backpack, you got this huge pack on your shoulders. It may weigh 50 pounds, 75 pounds, 100 pounds, different weights, different people. And you're, and you're hunched over because of the weight that is on you. How can you smile with that kind of burden? How can you be that great advertisement for the gospel, that kind of burden on you? How can you live a victorious Christian life? You're, you're just burdened. And this burden had lot, has locks and chains on it. You see, just like a harness, when you have a yoke upon you, you can't get it off yourself. You need help. Even when the human being was pulling it, they often needed help from someone else because usually they're pulling along with other people as well. They're harnessed with other people. They would need the person who's ever guiding the plow to help them get the burden off of them. And so this burden, you're, you're hunched over, and there you are with your burden, and there's locks and chains over it. And he says, come to me, 
all you at labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In the purest form, it means salvation. But to the Christian, it's a continual process. He says, I will give you rest for your souls. Again, it depends on what you're resting on. We've already said you're going to have to rest on Jesus. But how is he going to give you rest? How are you going to take, he says, take my yoke. My, my, my yoke is gentle and lowly in heart. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Man, this is confusing. I'm trying to give up my burden, not take on another one. And so I've got this burden, and I bring it to the altar. And I try to drop the burden, but I go back to my seat. I've still got the burden. I'm still stressed. I'm still worried. I'm still anxious. You know, I'm anxious about my, my children. I'm anxious about my grandchildren. I'm anxious about my school. I'm anxious about my friends. I'm anxious about my life and where it's going in the future and the job that I'm looking for. I'm just, I'm, God, I want you to take the burden from me. What do we want to, God to really do? We want God to take the burden off. We want to place it in the altar and say, now, God, fix it the way I want you to fix that. Right? Somebody speak to me. Think about it. That's what I want. Maybe you're different from me. Maybe you're different from everybody else here in the room. But when I lay a burden down before the Lord, when I'm saying to God, God, I'm giving this to you, take it from me, and I want it to end up, however you want to do it, I want it to end up the way I want it to end up and the way I think it should end up. Because I know more. God, I know more than you do. And this is the way I want it to end up. And the burden never comes off. Why? Because there's locks, there's chains on the burden. And there's no way that you can bring that to the altar and I can bring my burden to the altar without bringing myself with it. There's your insight for today. There's no way I can do that. I'm attached to it. It's like welded to me. I can't get it off. I need help getting it off. But see, if I, if I just try to lay my burden down, and I'm laying my burden down, if I could do that and just simply lay down whatever I'm burdened about and then walk back to my seat, what am I doing? I'm, I'm going back and living my life kind of the way I want to live it without Jesus being Lord of my life, and he's going to somehow take care of my burden and answer my prayer the way I want it to be answered. And that's just not biblical. It's, it just wouldn't be right for you because Chant, this is, this is what it, whatever you're yoked to is what's on the throne of your life. Whatever that burden is laying on the altar, that is the Lord of your life. That is the master. Now, it may be, it may be ambition. Why? Why? Well, that's not, ambition's not my God. No, but <clears throat> being admired, maybe by other people, is your God. And the way you get that is through the business world. Or maybe you want to be loved. And so the way you feel that that is appropriate for you and applicable for you, I should say, is that you're popular. I'll do anything to be popular. Anything. Why? Because I have to be loved. See, there's something else on the altar. And that's the reason why you're carrying the burden that you're, that you're carrying. The reason we have burdens, whatever our burden is, reflects the God of our life. 
and what's really running the show. But instead, instead I, I bring myself to the altar and I say, God, I'm taking my hands off my own life, God. I want you to be Lord of my life. And, I'm, and all of a sudden, we don't take the burden off. God just drops it. But we have a different attitude change. And we say, okay, God, you know the way I want this burden to end up. But God, whatever you want, it's your burden now. You see, if I own it, if it's my burden, it's my responsibility. Now, God, it's your responsibility. It's not that I'm not going to pray for it. Not that I'm not going to ever think about it. But it's not going to weigh my life. It's not going to dictate my life anymore. And then we take on his burden. You see, we can't live life without a burden. Unless you just don't care at all about anything. But he says, my burden is light. What is his burden? It's the lost souls of this world. It's missions. It's evangelism. It's that, that Christian in the church that's hurting. It's that one who's lost someone that's a loved one in their life and going to comfort them. It's someone who needs discipling, someone who needs inspiration, somebody else that needs an example in their life, someone else that needs a teacher. These are the burdens of God, and they're always lighter than these other burdens. Why? Listen, it's just human nature. You can go out and you can share Christ with someone over and over and over again. You can disciple them, but the chances are very, very slim that they are going to burden your heart ever like your own child. It's just not human nature for that to happen. And that person was God's person over here before he was yours. And so you know, well, God's going to take care. I just got to do what I, I need to do, God, in my burden, share Christ, teach them, whatever I need to do. God, you're going to take it. It's easy to trust. And so our burden becomes lighter because now we begin to see the world from God's point of view and from God's eyes. And our, our burden is dropped. Our new burden is on us, which is much lighter, much more joyful in our life. Why is it that I just can't dump my, my, my burden at the altar and just go on my way? Because inside that backpack is the one who kind of rules my life or the thing that rules my life. And how can I ask God to bless that and fix that when all I do, I'm really basically saying, God, I want you to fix my idol. So I can worship it more and it can get me where I think I need to go. The key to releasing the burden is releasing yourself to the Lord. The key is to release yourself. The key is to bring yourself to the altar and ask God to take it from there. There is a spirit rest. Hebrews tells us about that as salvation. It's that moment that you trust Christ as your Savior and Lord. Then there's a soul's rest, Hebrews says, where the peace of God passes all understanding. And that's when Jesus is active Lord of your life and you have placed your burden upon him. And he promises you will find rest, he says in verse 29, in your souls deep within your souls. What are you yoked to this morning? The Bible, not the Bible, but our prayers, a little bedtime prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. Can you sleep? 
Can you sleep? Wow, what a deal. Swapping burdens with God. And let our burden become his responsibility. And then we'll see it in his perspective that it's a tool in our life and not the Lord of our life. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.